Pastor's Cut podcast for the week of October 23rd, 2022, and we'll be in Acts chapter 4 this week, but uh, we were just bantering around the circle of trust here about broken arms, broken legs, broken appendages, because last night, Dave, you thought your son might have had a little accident. Yes, he did have a little accident while um, you and I were on a Zoom call with someone. Oh, we, no. um uh, of, of all things, my boy was upstairs playing a little rough in our playroom. I don't know what he did, but apparently he did something that was involving some sort of cartwheel push-up thing that everything slipped out underneath him, and I think his elbow got hyperextended on his right arm. And the combination of all of that caused him a lot of pain. All right. No- nothing like those broken bone stories of our own childhood or of our kids growing up. Marissa, mm-hmm. you got anything good? No, anything? I, co- I come from a long line of readers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't try to do the cartwheel push-ups? No, no, okay. but it sounds like, I'm. man, that sounds like something to accomplish. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. That was a fun combo. Not... Statistically, readers have less broken arms. Yeah, than paper others. cuts. Yeah. Now, I know, I know Brad <laughs> Brad has a good story. Uh, Brad back in the sound booth. Sound booth, bad, sound booth <laughs> Brad. Say uh, that five times real fast. No, I, mm-hmm. I, well, I can barely say it one time. So uh, it, I know it's a longer story. You like to tell long stories, so keep it short. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I just stumped him. Says, <laughs> says the pastor that preaches for 25 minutes. Seriously. Mm-hmm. That's really good, though. Uh, the, the pastor story, could preach for like 50 he minutes. He could. Uh-uh. 25 is really good, though. Um, no complaints. Um, it has to do with a girl in high school, and a horse and a telephone pole. And um, I was riding a horse at full speed across a pasture and ran headlong into a telephone pole. Trying to impress the girl. Trying to impress the girl. And what did you break other than your ego? Uh, Well, my arm. (laughs) (laughs) Did said girl take you to the ER? No, uh, no, no. Did you cry in front of said girl? No, no. Is said girl now your wife? No. Oh, good. Didn't work. Nope. No, did not work. (laughs) Terribly unimpressed, in fact. Absolutely. Well, that often As she should have been. You should have tried the push-up cartwheel. Would have been safer, (laughs) at least on the ground. So, yeah. (laughs) That could have done it. Well, we all have those great stories. Um, I remember taking Kira to the ER late one night, our our oldest child, our daughter. uh, She had done a cartwheel over uh, off the fireplace, and... um, of course, babysitter was with her at the time. Babysitter called us and said, I don't know if her arm is broken, but it's bent, is what she said on the phone. Ooh, and ooh. I said, I'm pretty sure if it's bent, it's broken. <laughs> Which direction? Oh, yeah, that was just, it was terrible. One of the worst breaks I've seen. All right, so let's jump into Acts chapter 4. I want to set this up just a bit before we read this. Um, Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke, volume-wise, writes more of the New Testament than anyone else. Now, more individual books are written by Paul, but between Luke and Acts, Luke contributes uh, just the the greatest amount to the New Testament documents, and so this is a sequel. Uh, I'm going to play with this a little bit on Sunday morning. You know, we all know these great movies, and then they do a sequel, 
and the sequel is just terrible, mm. right? And I don't know if y'all can call any to mind right now. I had to do a little digging, but but sometimes the sequels are are awful. They should have just stopped, right? So Luke offers a sequel to the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, in the book of Acts, he says this. I wrote you before about all Jesus began to do and teach. Now this is a sequel about what Jesus would continue to do through the church. Marissa, looks like you're about to say something. No, I was just trying to think of like a Jesus Christ in the Temple of Doom. I, I, <laughs> Indiana Jones did pretty that's okay. Awesome. <laughs> Jesus and the Crystal Skull. Oh, oh yeah, not, no, that not, was one to forget about. That's one to forget about, right. <laughs> if Shia LaBeouf is involved in the Gospels, oh, I, I we, like that's that. apocryphal. I just don't mm. like his acting. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure he's a great guy. Actually, I'm sure he's no, not yeah, a great hey, guy. No, yeah, hey, yeah. Not a great guy. So, um, so Luke offers the sequel. The beginning, um, you know, everything is going great. The people are enjo- they're enjoying. Um, well, they enjoy. They see Jesus ascend. They receive the Spirit. They're enjoying the favor of all the people. Acts chapter four is the first time it turns just a little bit, and the church faces opposition. So, as the church faces opposition and threats from the outside world, what's the first thing they do? They pray. Okay, and so what we have here in Acts chapter 4 is the church's longest recorded prayer. So um, let me just read it, and then, um, then I'm going to let you guys just reflect on this about what stands out to you. So as, as we talk about prayer, on their release from the Sanhedrin, by the way, the Sanhedrin was the same group that put Jesus to death. Probably Peter and John had a little PTSD from that. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, went back to the church, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they, the church, raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you are the maker of heavens. Uh, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And he quotes here Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So here's my first question. If, if we were faced with like persecution today, do you think our first response would be to pray? And if not, what, what would be our first response? If, if our church began to receive threats and persecution, what would be our first response? Maybe it would be prayer, maybe not. What do you think? I hope it would be prayer, and I hope it would be the right kind of prayer as the church in Acts prayed. Okay, so you, you, <laughs> you gave a loaded response. I'm, unpack that a little I, bit. I, I like, Go ahead. I like that hope there. That's, no. that's good. That's optimistic. So, so I, and, uh, let, let, me ask, let me ask Marissa. Unpack, okay, unpack, okay. Unpack that okay. That you hoped it would be prayer, and you hope it would be the right kind of prayer. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but just the just the in. grace and the mercy that the people showed in this prayer. You know, Psalms two. Um, it, first of all, Psalms two that they had it ready on their lips that that they knew uh, the word of God so well um, that that 
the Psalms could prompt them to remember his power and his promises and to comfort them um, and to let them know that this was nothing new, that this was not a surprise, um, shouldn't be a surprise to them and certainly wasn't a surprise to God. But they could have prayed, as Psalms 2 kind of goes on to pray, um, for a smiting of the Sanhedrin, for, uh, for you know, their, their rage was brought up uh, against God. God, meet them blow for blow, uh, show your rage back to them because they threaten us. But rather it was um, kind of a joy that they were able to witness so much and share the gospel with the Sanhedrin, um, that they were uh, able to, to uh, share Christ and proclaim Christ in a space that they never would have imagined they were able to do. And they were praying that, you know, God as um, persecution and, and threats have um, risen up against your work before, throw off those shackles. Psalms 2 goes on to say, you know, you throw off the shackles, you unbind, unbind the gospel and, and help those, uh, or rather, uh, when other people try to snuff out the gospel, help us to proclaim it more loudly. Yeah. Um, so it was a prayer of healing, of mercy, and of boldness. So Psalm 2 is worth going back and reading in its entirety, mm-hmm. uh, written by David. Um, you know, he's here saying, I'm trying to do the right thing, and all these other nations are rising up, and kings of the earth are, are pushing back against us. And, and so now here you have the son of David, Jesus, and his followers trying to do the right thing. Why, why do the nations rage? Now, you didn't go exactly where I thought you were going to go with that, Marissa. I shouldn't try to be a mind reader anymore, but, <laughs> but I, I too hope we would pray, and I hope we would pray in the right way. And you talk about the graciousness of their prayer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back later and talk about you know, where, where I'm going to be going in the message, and that how we might pray in this situation, I think, is different mm-hmm. than what the early church did. So, Dave, what you got? <laughs> so, I think, in all honesty, the average person, um, in certainly in America, would pray just for retribution, mm-hmm. if they would go to prayer. Mm-hmm. If they wouldn't go to prayer, they would plot retribution and say, man, we're, we're Christians. We have a right to act a certain way. How dare they persecute us? Let's come up with our plan. But that's not what happens. And the beauty of, of this writing is that in antiquity, that's what you'd expect anyway. You'd expect anybody who is backed into a corner, even after they say, well, is it better for us to obey, obey you or obey God? Um, that happened earlier in Acts 4 than for them why wouldn't they go back to their people and plot and think of ways that they could just keep pushing forward and sticking it to the guys that, that persecuted them? Instead, they go and they pray. And mm-hmm. as they pray, I find it fascinating that the text says that they pray together in one accord. They pray, the, the Greek word there for in unity or in one accord is the word homothumadon, that there's this sense, we, we actually get the, the modern idea of cooperation or, or working together in step with each other. That's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 2, when, when Paul says, if you have the same heart, if you have the, let the same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And, and so it's that idea that whatever's going on around you, work together. And the early church, everybody came together. It, it says that it's not just Peter and John and the disciples, it's Peter, John, and the entire assembly of believers. So there's three, 4,000 people that are gathered together at this point, and they're all praying together the same prayer. 
whether it's it's Peter and John leading them in this prayer, we don't know, or if it's it's the whole church just spontaneously, they're just praying and interceding, and this is what comes up to the surface. And we need to remember that the Holy Spirit was just given in Acts chapter 2, and as we read through the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit is the results of the Holy Spirit being in our life, as you read through in different parts of the New Testament, namely you know Galatians chapter 5, you see that lived out in the early church, whereas our base instinct... Uh, is retribution, get even. God, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, smite them. You know, it's, it's very patient and it's trusting in God and it's praying that the gospel would continue to advance. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit comes in power. Now we see the Holy Spirit coming out of their character mm-hmm. and it's good to see that. Yeah, and it's really important to remember that the Pentecost was not a single event, that it continues today, that that, that immersion in the Holy Spirit is something that's possible for us today. And the more the enemies of God try to bind the gospel, history has shown that it just just spreads like wildfire. And it it was the truth for Jerusalem. It was the truth when we see the epistles uh, of Paul when he went to Rome. And it's true today that the harder someone tries to stamp it out, the more compelling and transformative the gospel is. And I think it's a great comfort for us because we can be an enemy of our own message. So if we're afraid that our own missteps or the greater evangelical world's mistakes or even our outright sin is going to silence the gospel, um, the gospel will not be bound. No, it will not Even be. by mm-hmm. us. Uh, it's impossible to snuff it out with our ignorance or our clumsiness, but it would be a lot better <laughs> if we could work alongside the Holy Spirit to work to bring about the kingdom rather than the Holy Spirit work despite us. So this is a huge challenge for us because as, as the culture heats up, and every, by the way, everyone's angry at everyone, mm. um, but particularly culture seems to have a growing impatience toward Christians. Mm. And so um, whereas we might receive that anger, we are not to return in kind. Uh, we're to have a different response, mm. and I think that's the... The present witness, the silent but ever-present witness of Acts chapter 4 is mm-hmm. our response should be different no matter the hatred and anger that's poured out to us. Uh, we're not given that permission to return in kind. Mm. So let me ask this question. Um, if you had to choose, you know, we hear about idolatry and in the Older Testament and the New Testament era, we hear about pagan idols and people literally work, worshiping before statues. If you could choose one or two idols that we worship in our culture today, and I'm going somewhere with this, so just trust me for a minute. If you could say, here, here are one or two idols that people worship. Now, they might not have a little temple in their home and bow down mm-hmm. to them, but by their actions and their priorities, where they give their time and money to, here's what we idolize today. What would be top on y'all's list? I think our own opinions. Ooh, that's good. I our own worldview. That we're, and you know, I haven't spent time to fully form this, but... That's okay. Keep your I think that we're always trying to project our own opinions and our own views upon God rather than let God speaking, speak to us through the scripture. Um, and that is, man, I think that's the definition of idolatry is to try to paint God in our own image. Um, it's, it's our own opinions. Yeah, yeah, we do mm-hmm. idolize our own opinions. If everyone was just sane and right, they would think exactly the way I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. how about that? Dave, what you got? And maybe more than one if y'all, got, if y'all got them. I mean, people make much out of retirement uh, of you know they they build up their 401ks they're watching the stock market like crazy no don't, a lot watch, of people, don't watch the stock market right <laughs> don't now. do it right now yeah don't do <laughs> but, but seriously uh there's something about the the pursuit of wealth and the the 
accumulation of wealth that has become quite the idol. People, even young adults, um, I actually read John Eldridge's book, um, The Resilient, and there's something about the great resignation part of that, that, that 20-somethings, 30-somethings quit their job and got an RV and just you know tried to live the happy life. There's an idol somewhere in the middle of that, of, of thinking that if I don't work, that I can just enjoy life and live life to its fullest, and that's all there is to it. So I work to get just enough of whatever money I need so that I can just enjoy life. Yeah, we're the generation that heard Chris Farley say live in a van down by the river and said, yeah, that actually that sounds, sounds good. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would throw in a couple of idols. I think um, uh, sports has become an idol in our culture. If you look about where so much money and attention and fame flows, and I'm, I'm not saying don't have a favorite team. I, you know, I'm not really driven by sports, but a lot of people are. I think it's great to have, have a hobby. But when our, our sports becomes our religion, mm. people who uh, say, well, I, I just can't memorize the Bible, but yet they know every stat about their team and every player on the team. They, they know the players more than, than the apostles, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, our entertainment, and particularly sports, has become a pretty significant idol. I think sex has become an idol. Just think about right now, people will define themselves entirely by who they have sex with. Mm. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to, to articulate this uh, in a way for Sunday morning consumption, but the pelvis has become an idol, and it's dividing denominations, it's dividing families, it's, you know, we, we hold this up as the end all and be all of life, that I will define myself entirely by who I have sex with. Um, that feels funny saying in a microphone out loud, but that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. sex has. Clip become... it out of context, there, no, Brad. No, 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 <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no selective editing. Please don't. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that it's the end all and be all of existence, and mm-hmm. we've made it an idol. But there's one idol that I think Acts chapter four exposes uh, that's real big for Americans. We idolize safety. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. want to be safe. You know, we want to be secure. Um, the funny thing is, is safety never works, the desire for safety. It creates more anxiety. So if we were to pray as the early church, or, or if we were in the same situation as the early church, I don't think we'd be praying for boldness. We'd be praying for safety. Mm-hmm. For protection. Yeah. God, mm-hmm. please protect us from all these people. Mm-hmm. Hey, Darren, I have, a, I have another take on that, too. I, th- I think, if you don't mind. Um, I, I do, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, now we know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know that we shouldn't have no other image before us. You know, other than I think our own image mm-hmm. is our is our idol. Yeah, we idolize ourselves, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean necessarily we we idolize how people view us. We spend so much time trying to get people to look at us in a certain way, and how we prop up our own image is an obsession with a lot of people. Um, you know, I want you to view me this way, you know, and when indeed that may not be you at all, but that's what we're putting out there and what we put out there in the social media world is really, really huge. You know, people make a career on their image. When when we turn our lives into a brand, it's probably an unhealthy desire to be, to be noticed and to be, Mm -hmm. to be at the center. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the the idol of identity that I think you were a little bit referring to when you were talking about sexuality is we just so desperately want to be known by other people. 
and to become obsessed with our identity and who we are and who, like Brad was saying, who, uh, how we're perceived by other people. Just, we just want to be known and God can give us that. And we're, we, we haven't to, gotten there yeah, yet. We want to control the narrative, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So here we see Christians, and this will be kind of the charge I give all of us uh, who listen to this podcast and those who listen to the message. When you're tempted to pray for safety, pray for strength instead. Uh, and it goes back to that word comfort, and we, we hear the word comfort, and we think, oh, comfort is making me feel better. But you take that word apart, and com means with, and fort means fortitude, strength. Mm-hmm. So to comfort is actually not to make somebody feel better, but to make somebody feel stronger. Hmm. And so the early church asks for, God, would you make us feel stronger? Would you put the Holy Spirit inside of us? And that's God's strength on loan to us. And that's, it's, it's not some kind of self-generated power either. I want to feel stronger. I can, you know, look in the mirror and tell myself I'm happy, I'm good looking, all that good stuff. It's the Holy Spirit in me that gives me strength. Mm-hmm. Final comments. When you brought up comfort, it makes me think of uh, Romans 8.28, which we talked about just a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. And when you couple that verse with the fact that they did ask for God to stretch out his hand of healing. Um, and to, it just makes me think of just how much uh, the church had grown and matured since the point where James and John called down lightning on, or wanted to call down lightning on the village that, that slided them. But this prayer really reminds me of Genesis 50 um, with Joseph and his brothers. Um, Genesis 50, 19 through 20 says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And while the words of Joseph in Genesis 50 and Psalms 2 brought comfort to those who were being persecuting, persecuted rather, um, because you know they were asking to be emboldened and asking to endure, um, these specific words of Joseph were meant to comfort those who were persecuting him. Um, they were spoken to his brothers who were terrified and devastated that they had brought so much harm upon their brother. Um, so the way I look at this prayer is that it was a prayer for the hearts of the Sanhedrin, Yeah. Um, that they were acknowledging that this was our former family, and now they're harming us, they're hurting us, but we want them to be our restored brothers. We want them to be like the brothers of Joseph. Um, you know, it's a Father Forgive Them prayer. Um, it's, you know, uh, you did harm for me, you threatened me, you raised up against me, but all your rage was in vain, not because God will then smite you, but rather because he'll forgive you and he'll adopt you into the family. And that's why they pray for healings and signs and wonders so that there would be unmistakable evidence that the Sanhedrin could see mm-hmm. and go, Jesus Christ mm-hmm. is real right. and would, uh, would change their hearts. Right. And I think that's what shook the walls and brought the emboldening of the Holy Spirit, just that God was so excited that they finally got it. You know, that this was not, his presence wasn't something for them to hoard, but to shine forth. And, and that word shine forth is the same word where we get the, the, the same Hebrew word where boldness comes from. So it's sometimes uh, translated as bold, sometimes as shine. Um, and so it's like, man, this is what we've been trying to do since the very beginning is to shine. Dave? I absolutely love that this passage, that, that this prayer is centered not on the persecution, but on who God is. And in response to who God is, they pray for a, an increased ability to 
proclaim or preach the gospel with boldness, and they pray for God to confirm that supernaturally so that there'd be no doubt, like we just said a minute ago, that it's God's message, not their message. And then that happens, and then you fast forward to 5, 12 through 16, and you see shortly thereafter, many signs and wonders are done, and people are coming to faith. The Lord's adding more and more people to the church every single day because they sought God in a moment of pressure, and instead of backing down or retreating or creating a holy huddle, they looked out beyond themselves and said, what would it look like if we prayed ultimately for these people that are persecuting us to know and experience the same God that we've come to know and experience and to physically see the same miracles and signs and wonders that we saw that Jesus performed? If they could see that as well, if they could see heaven come down to earth, their lives would be transformed as well. They're going to know and experience God. So we want to pray for more power, more boldness, so they can see and experience God. So in the same way we live in a always angry world, uh, to respond to anger with love and compassion, but also to not ask God to keep us safe, mm-hmm. make us strong. Mm-hmm. Make us strong. So catch yourself, just as a walk away, just catch yourself. Every time you find yourself inclining to pray towards safety, that desire for safety, all it does is increase our anxiety because there is no such thing as safety, really. We want to feel safe. But to to live strong means we don't have to worry about our circumstances and our surroundings as much because we will meet them. So I've been dying to get to this point now that we <laughs> finished the Bible. It's the word of the week. Dave, Dave <laughs> wants to create a jingle. Don't sing it, Dave. Don't sing I am it. I'm biting my tongue. Don't sing it. <laughs> So, uh, real quick story. I was sitting with Ron Shira uh, yesterday morning over breakfast. He is the president of Hawaii Baptist Academy. He was our guest uh, this last Sunday. And um, he was talking about his wife, who just passed away in March, and just reminiscing about what a beautiful woman she was inside and out. And he said she was a Tita, T-I-T-A. He just kind of said that in passing. And after he finished, I go, you used a word about your wife a minute ago. She was a Tita. He goes, oh, that's a local word that we use. It's a it's a Polynesian word that kind of means that um, you know she was a tomboy type, you know, real, you know, real strong, you know, self sufficient, knew mm-hmm. what she liked, go after it, like sports, that sort of thing. So I said, that's that's a great word, and I told him about our podcast on the word of the week. So then he looked it up. He actually looked up the definition of Tita, mm-hmm. and it's as he described, but the definition kind of cracked me up. A tough local chick. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah. Mm. I love that. So that goes in line with boldness. Women, be Titas. Men, I guess that would make Titos, I guess. I don't know what that would be. So, you know, just y'all are both looking at me like I've lost my ever-loving mind. (laughs) No. Isn't that a great word? Yes. Tita, that kind of describes my wife, too. Paula (laughs) is kind of a tomboy growing up, and still she's a a tough local chick. So, (laughs) boy, I know how to... Kill a podcast, I like it. don't I? <laughs> mm. Good word. So go out there, everyone, and be Tito's and Tito's. I don't even know that's a word. I just made it up. I like it. There, Flaming there hot Tito's. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I need a Tito chili pie. Frito. <laughs> Let's keep having fun with this. There we go. All right, friends. Well, that's all we got here from Studio B in downtown Tulsa. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.